You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to episode 163 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Barry Adamson. His bands include Magazine, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Pan Sonic, and he's also a solo artist and a film composer. His new memoir is called Up Above the City, Down Beneath the Stars. It was a refreshing cool day in 2013. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds were playing the San Francisco Civic Center, essentially the worst venue in San Francisco that was walking distance from my apartment. After seeing him a couple dozen times, I couldn't bring myself to go to that dreaded venue. Then I got an email from Barry Adamson. Yes, THE Barry Adamson. Hey, Tony. You need tickets to the show tonight? I said, yes. So I brought my best friend, Midori, and we went, we went to the guest list line, and I got to say, hi, I'm Tony Duchesne, and I'm on the list for the bad seeds. And that, my friends, was the best moment of my entire life. I've, even, I've gotten even better. <laughs> it got even better when she looked, when the person at the door looked at the list and said, here you go, and she gave us our tickets. The rest of the night, Midori and I told everyone, we're on the Bad Seeds list. I love Barry Adamson, his solo albums, his film scores, when he was in magazine, and when he was on the first four albums of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and uh, before reading his new memoir, Up Above the City, down beneath the stars I had no clue he was also in the birthday party he subbed for um, Tracy on bass for a while I've been trying to interview him for 10 years and sync it up when he was in California well fellow listeners of the show the wait was worth it hi this is Barry Adamson and you're listening to Drinks with Tony get on the Drinks with Tony show You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Barry Adamson. His new book is a memoir. It's called Above the City, Down Beneath the Stars. Barry, how are you? I'm good. Very I, good here in the UK. Yeah, where are you at? I'm on, I'm on the coast, the southeast coast, a town called Brighton. You'll probably hear some uh, seagulls blasting their way through pretty soon. That seems to be the general ambience most of the time the sun is just setting now so pretty soon we are actually going to be up above the city and down beneath the stars with the twilight's going to be happening oh i like that that's a tie-in yes <laughs> everything's a tie-in tony it's all relative yeah. is it, it well is it relative or do, i mean well how does that work does it tie in together or i guess it's relational right is that what you're saying relational yeah everything's kind of relational and it ties in. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding you. Oh, you get you have the, you have authority to say things. I'm like, oh, okay, really? The, the, yeah. the sky is red. I get it. Yeah. You know, I guess it's I guess it's the uh, the you know the writer can sort of uh, say say what they like and make it truth. <laughs> just, as long as you have the author enough authority, it it's it's and it seems true. It might be. Yeah. No, no. I think you need you need to uh, obviously 
question where the truth lies. And I like the I like the old uh, there's a uh, Truffaut uh, French filmmaker adage that sort of all all good writing is like twenty five percent truth, twenty five percent fiction, twenty five percent stuff that you totally make up, and twenty five percent stuff that you've read somewhere in a newspaper. <laughs> And then, and that, and what's what trips me out is that if, you know, thinking about uh, what we make up as writers, mm. it, it's it's out there somewhere. It's not like we totally made it up. It's just kind of like we we access it in a weird way that we don't understand. Yeah, what's that line from about remembering things the way you want to remember them? I can't remember. I think it, it, is that a movie? Somebody in a movie says, "Yeah, but I want to." remember things the way I remember them, like the way I saw them, something like that. Was that? Oh my God. I know exactly that quote and yeah. I can't think of the actor, but it was such a great one. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's, that's kind of it really. I, you know, there are times in my book where I go like, is that really the, the truth? And I'm, or, or am I using these elements to sort of put a yarn together that will and would hopefully engage a reader into turning over the next page. And I've noticed sometimes I use a sequence of events and maybe they're months apart, but the way I draw them is almost like this was happening day after day. And so therefore, you know, I'm, I'm deliberately using that to try and engage the reader over what might be a series of, of events over a time period and then sort of just bringing them together. And I'm going like, well, that's not, you know, exactly the truth, but it is the truth in terms of those things that happened in the way I'm kind of gluing them together, bookending them, if you like. <clears throat> I love the seagulls in the background. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Um, <laughs> not, not to discount your lovely voice too, but uh, yeah. I, that may, that makes, um, I think it's, it's such a trip as we continue to look back on our memories and kind of restructure our stories that, I think we keep finding, maybe we find deeper truths as we get older, but the actual, the, if there was a detective there looking for the fact, just the facts, ma'am, then, the, then it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be the truth. The truth is the essence of what the, the feelings were in a way. Yeah. And uh, as a, as a writer, I think one of the things I picked up early was uh, this expression, which is, just the facts, mom, just the facts. And uh, I obviously as a kind of detective within my own uh, sphere, if you like, and uh, you know, the things I'm influenced by, I kind of stretch that quite a little bit, but like, it, it's kind of interesting to come back to that idea as a detective, just the facts. But then you kind of look at your notebook and the way you might've scribbled something down might read in a way that's sort of far more interesting than what happened. So if you embellish it, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't remember so, so much deliberate embellishment, but I, you know, I found myself sometimes sort of writing something and it was very sort of hard boiled on the nose, you know, didn't, I didn't sort of want to, you know, uh, deviate from, from the way I remembered it, which was, the, which was for me, the truth in, and somebody else may read that and go, no, you're wrong. It didn't happen that way. And then it's back to like, well, that's the way I remember it. You know, I want to remember things the way I remember them. It's my, you know, that's my prerogative, if you like, as a, as a, as a kind of detective writer. I mean, the book was supposed to be a, 
uh, an investigation of the self. That, that was the idea I put to myself through, you know, various influences, uh, you know, particularly um, David Peace, David Goodis, you know, writers that were sort of hard, uh, that are hard boiled and sort of look at, at crime, if you like, in a certain way and sort of report those facts in a certain way. So I had a kind of style that I was looking for and a way to sort of try and put my own story, which is very strange if you're investigating yourself. Because at times you find you want to go, oh, I don't want to write that. And then this voice just goes, write it. Yeah. The, the how, <clears throat> what was that? What was that experience like? There had to be parts of your life where you're just like, oh, I got to remember, I got to go through this again. Was there, yeah. was there any of that? Uh, do you mean in terms of things that I experienced in, in terms of my life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, di- I didn't really, you know, and I guess this is the way life is lived. I, I didn't really experience it in a kind of linear way you know things were happening and there was enough sort of you know good stuff as well you know mm-hmm. good good things and like like good fortune and uh and i felt certainly blessed by the by the direction of you know being able to play music with certain people and you know get at a very young age you know at 90 18 90 you know to get involved on the bigger stage if you like i felt that was sort of you know, things that were sort of carrying me through and, and away from what I perceived, uh, I guess, and what I kind of now know as, as, as a, a great deal of trauma, you know, and, and different traumatic experiences. Um, so I didn't really think I was going to have to remember this one. Day. I think a lot of time was spent trying to forget it. <laughs> I think that was the deal, you know. <clears throat> I think that's what's uppermost in people's minds, you know, in traumatic events. You know, they want to present to you like everything's fine, everything's okay. And it's our nature to sort of, I think, suppress and to try and be avoidant about that coming up, if you like, you know. Uh, yeah. So for me, I don't think you can stop it, really. It's like when people come up to you and go, hey, how are you? And I say, I'm fine. But inside, I'm like, I know I'm not fine. Why did I just tell that person I'm fine? Things are going yeah. wrong. <laughs> but But the presentation we want to be is like, uh, no, no, it's fine. I'm not going to burden you with, with everything. You with, with this, yeah. And then you're sort of like, really, you want to fall on the floor and, and cry and, on somebody's shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and while they walk away, you like hold on to their ankles and get right. dragged slowly. You know. <laughs> and they're like, I will never ask Barry how he's doing again. <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah, exactly. So I guess what we're trying to do in life is just set it up so people will ask us how we're doing again and again and again and not uh and not worry that we're going to hold on to their legs and weep yeah. and cry i think i think there's a sort of like a table a kind of category of a friend or person or that you will say you know to be honest with you i'm not doing too well why what's up you know da, 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 da. whereas to another person it is fine and it's appropriate yeah perhaps it's appropriate to say like yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, just getting on with it. And then sort of maybe, you know, call the people, you know, uh, around you. Like, a, I guess people sort of do now. It's like a modern world that does rely on a kind of, you know, support system around them. And, you know, obviously, you know, mental health and mental well-being has become a, 
you know, not a dirty word anymore, not a word that's right. sort of like people want to run in the opposite direction. So I think those things are accessible these days. And then, you know, that which leaves you and I free to joke about the crying on the shoes and the and the late and dragging down because we know what that really means, you know. Whereas like, you know, for a lot of people it's like they, they don't have a way to sort of express how they are, you know, what to do with their anger, sadness, you know, whatever it be, you know. Just push it down, push it down with yeah, substances and uh yeah, all that. <laughs> but I think there is a movement out of that now. I think there is a way to sort of, that we're told like you know, you can talk to somebody about this or you can write a memoir. <laughs> you can write a memoir and expose yourself to everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and walk on the street naked going, I am fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, it's a it, bit chilly today. Yeah, okay, but I'm fine. <laughs> now, now, and when it comes out, you'll, um, you'll, uh, they'll be like, hey, how are you? And you'll be like, you could read the book. Just it's so funny that I have these <laughs> conversations already. You know, someone asked me, so like, a friend will ask me about something. I go like, "Mate, read the book." Wait, you know, well, <laughs> yeah. And they go like, "Oh, this bloody book," you know. And they 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 think I'm saying that just to sort of plug it, you know, just to sort of go like, just to just to let you know that I've got a book coming out, <laughs> you know. So go and buy it, you know. It's a funny one, you know, because you are you are literally, and I don't think there's any other way around it really to ex, you know, than to not expose yourself as it were you know, I think that's the hopefully that's the power in my book you know hopefully there's a power there which is about sort of using the stark truth to um, you know take the writer on a journey uh, take the reader on a journey you know and flip things over for them and then hopefully you know there is a, a sort of page turning element to that that's like more than like you know, okay, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing that. But you know, that I'm I'm aware of I'm aware of writing to an extent and I'm aware of cinema to an extent and I'm aware I'm aware of performance to an extent as well. Because I've done now I've done all those things in my life. I'm able to sort of put that together through the narrative and hopefully it it <laughs> And then the strange things at the the strange thing at the end of the day, Tony, is like it's entertainment. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I've 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 made entertainment about uh, out of my tragedies before, and then exactly. and then people, you know, and I do like blurring the lines of uh, comedy and drama. So people are yeah. like, "Oh my god, I laughed so hard at this scene," and I'm like, "Thank you." And in my heart, I'm like, "That one wasn't funny." <laughs> Yeah, 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 <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you're just like but yeah, I'm, i can't i can't steer their experience they 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 need to connect in their way no i i hope there's that the, 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 you know there's a balance between funnies and the drama and the and the, the the sorrow and the pain and also i hope people get that there's there's an awareness of those things you know it's not just like going like pour me you know pour me a drink with tony you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like a, you know, an awareness and a kind of realization about that and like going like, Jesus Christ. Okay. You know, for me, one of my favorite parts of the book is that is, you know, I'm, I'm in a psychiatric hospital and I remember, you know, I, you know, and I do remember like certain things about that, that were just like bizarre and quite funny. I mean, they kind of seem to supersede the pain 
that's where I'm sort of having a, you know a, this this breakdown and this thing, you know and and I I'm, and I thought after such harrowing tragedy I need to relieve the reader a little bit but not let them off the hook completely and go you know and so we set the next scene you know in a psychiatric hospital and I you know and I I had to sort of find the Jack Nicholson in there or the, you know and and the Indian, you know, and be all the be all the things, and, and find something about that time that gives a sort of like uplift, as 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 dark as it is, you know. And I'm very aware of that, and that's where I think I've hopefully, you know, done a, done a, a good job. We'll see, you know. Yeah, I I didn't uh, now that the psychiatric ward was after a suicide attempt. Yeah. He's very blunt, Tony. I, I like it. You know, he, he does not mean words. <laughs> How, how would I not be blunt with that? Let's see. I could be like, so when you were in the psychiatric ward, well, you, you must have been having some pain in you. Times were very dark, you know. <laughs> lead you to such a place, you know. What, you try to bump yourself up? What, what the hell's that? <laughs> what are you doing trying to bump yourself up, man? Yeah, so yeah. And, and that was the, you know, and that's obviously was an attempt to sort of release myself from, further sort of uh, pain and trauma, which, you know, of course it, it, it kind of didn't obviously hope, you know, gladly it didn't work, you know, I'm pleased it didn't work, but I had to sort of find a spot and it has become, that's become, I think my favorite part of the book, you know, cause you can feel, you can feel the thing changing. Like you can feel the spring arriving. I think, I think after the winter, you know, you can feel the flowers opening slightly. And you know the, the the section with the old lady who I who I feed. You know that there's something about that suddenly, like an awareness of something outside of myself. You know, and this this sort of corrosive sort of in, inner self that's just developed and and is on, on a train track that cannot cannot stop. You know, like that bike that's just going past. That I and I think you set that up. You set that up for this. You were like, we need some sound design. Can we go again with that? Yeah, you're a bit early. Just a little bit early. We need another. We need a re. Yeah, what? Uh, re, we re. Uh, I forget take. what they call. It. Yeah, retake. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm kind of blunt about it because I've had friends who've killed themselves, and I actually have checked myself into the hospital, so I wouldn't before. So it's I get the, um, you know, it's it's beautiful to go into a to go and get help and come out on the other end, and I think there's. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of uh, life experience that comes out in yeah. those dark times. Fortunately, you know, because I didn't really, I think I, I note in the book somewhere that there's a, a message that comes down from London to say, it's a cry for help, you know. And I think that's such a sort of like uh, slightly distorted view of, you know, it, it's a cry for help that might not never come, you know, and you know that it might not never come. So why would you cry for help? So I kind of think that that's not so, And but then again, I use that as the dramatic narrative to continue the story of where I'm at and my sort of inner sort of battle with self and the bad seeds and the, the black and white world and the, the rate where the racial bar is, is right, you know, being raised and also, to keep the conflict going, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm very grateful, of course, that, that 
I, you know, I got out of there because I didn't really, I didn't really think, well, I'll just do this and then I'll get out of here. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I just, I, you know, on obviously untrue, that's where the truth really is, is powerful. To put on a John Coltrane record and hear it differently and then believe a conspiracy is going on against you only. And then kind of thinking like, that can't be true because there are, it's, it's not possible. But then the, 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 the overpowering sort of thought systems that are embroiled in a kind of darker narrative don't seem to leave you alone. So you think, if now that's my truth, if I don't believe it, what's going on? Who the fuck am I? You know, what, what, who the hell am I? You know, what, what is happening here? So I'm trying to sort of, I guess, juggle those things and make them readable, you know, for yeah. a, a reader who, who doesn't have that experience, of course, you know, and uh, like, like we've said in, in the name of entertainment, you know, I will, I have not, I've been there just to, but, you know, it, now looking back, I'm able to sort of present that and, um, you know, like we said, sort of expose myself, but hopefully it will, you know, the, the reader will, will sort of see that like, wow, you know, th this is, this is how it is. It's, it, it, I guess it's, you know, I'm furthering my expressions, if you like, you know, whether it be like through an instrument, through a, you know, camera now with this, with this, with the written word, you know. I, and I love that you have, like, you have this vast, um, different experience, all these different experiences. And, you know, I just, yeah. And I love that you get that. It's it now, now I get kind of a fuller picture in the memoir because all, all I know is you're, you're the, you're the guy that I've, you know, I've loved your solo records. Oh yeah. You know, I found out about Nick Cave and the bad seeds and that's how I'm just like Barry Adamson. That guy's cool. What else is he magazine? You know, I was, I was, uh, I had to go look at them. It's, um, and then I got to, and then it was just such a joy to see you on the 2013 tour of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds because yeah. I was I was never able to see you as a Bad Seed, and I finally got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 was later. That's another book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please but, write that one. Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, uh, don't call it a comeback. I never went away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, yeah. I guess I, uh, the other thing is, I'm. I feel like I'm lucky to have experienced, you know, many different uh, avenues of the of the uh, the arts, if you like, you know. And I, I just sort of like, I get a thrill, you know. I get a I get a thrill like a a piece of equipment that that you know that takes photographs, uh, you know, an instrument that makes noise, you know. A sort of story that sort of bends the mind, you know, all of these things, you know, you know, the way certain shots are cut together, they're just like a thrill. They're just a sort of like, it, they make sense to me, you know, they make sense to me as a person in the world who perhaps like maybe without those things, things wouldn't make sense so much, you know. That's, it seems to be the way I've kind of, realizing as i get older that's 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 the way things are being yeah. yeah it's it's i think it's a very storytelling thing where we need to keep um telling our stories in different ways you know whether yeah. it's fiction or whether it's uh you know memoir or whether it's uh, you know musically but we keep telling and reconstructing essentially the story 
and the yeah. narrative. And that's what blows me. Yeah. You know, cause I'm not a musician, but I love, you know, I'm a huge fan of music and yeah. I, and I feel like musicians as storytellers are all, they, they're taking the story and they're, and sometimes the words don't need to tell it and we yeah. get it. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a communication that's, it's, it's priceless, you know, um, I think I, I think there is a line in the book that I've kind of nicked from somewhere and I use it about sort of, you know, art sort of uh, kind of, you know, soothing, soothing the soul of the person who makes it, you know, and uh, and I think the, the last part of that is then putting it out for other people. I think that's when the sort of, uh, you know, the soul gets kind of massaged in a way, you know, and sort of softens off because, uh, the process of making the art is kind of it can be kind of painful but it also brings this other thing on its kind of release to somebody else um i don't really know, you know know what that is but i've certainly had experiences with that you know and then it's it's come back to me and, and i've kind of gone you know like people got it wow that's great you know and i i and i was um when i was reading the uh the parts about the recording sessions with the early uh, bad seeds and you know when you were uh with uh, the birthday party it, it you know it's it all makes sense these all these 20 something guys together are going to have major egos and pecking orders and hierarchy of course it's yeah. it's you, yeah it's, it i love i just it's so interesting cuz as you know when we see it on our end it's just like oh those are the coolest dudes in the world you know, you know it, it's great the way you put it that as well because like for me it, you know i can't really categorize things and but like when you say it like it's true in their early 20s you know and they're sort of like you know chomping at the bits to bring each other down <laughs> you know to a place where they could and those guys are sort of like it was like you know it was like a sort of uh um what's the uh what's the william golding book uh about the kids left on an island uh Oh my God! Uh, uh, <laughs> why is this? Why? why, why, why where, where did that go? Um, yeah. Lost, lost. Uh, flies, flies. Yeah, yeah. That's what, the thing what? Is, the, the, the people listening to this just go like these old guys. Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I can't even remember Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> so yeah there's it so there there we are it's like early 20s like it's like a you know lord of the flies going on you know running around like crazy with headless chickens and madness and stuff and thinking we you know no, nothing's going to destroy us not even ourselves i think that was me trying to prove that to myself and then being told you know quite sort of uh, sternly through my own behavior through the vulture actually <laughs> Yes, you can be destroyed, and I am willing to destroy you. And not really, rec and having to split, if you like, from self in order for that to happen. You know, you know, having to split into sort of self and the vulture, who's kind of organizing my transition to another world. You know, and I think that's that's where it. it I, I allow myself to use this sort of absurdist abstraction to carry the rest of the narrative in the last third. And um, I was quite sort of stern about that. You know, I was quite sort of like, yes, I will do that. I don't care. When we go like, what are you doing? That, that's not, you know, that's not real. That's, but it's real to me. It's a way to deal with what's going on. You know, that splitting, 
the disassociation stuff from self, you know, and the compulsion to repeat the trauma and then like stuff the feelings down and all that stuff, eventually going to like crack open and become these two selves, which I was always fascinated by anyway, being, you know, mixed race, Gemini, you know, all those things, you know, the dual things look fascinating to me. Interesting. And, and it's just, and it, I think it's how we actually come to grips with what reality is versus like actually what the chaos of everything is at the same time. Yeah, uh, just walking through life, and then it's just, and then it's it, yeah. I my 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 mind's been blown on this because I'm you know especially since we've been in pandemic, I've been going down my weird rabbit holes. Right, I'm I'm amazed I'm not like one of those conspiracy theor uh, the what do you call it? the lunatics somewhere yeah. right now after after doing too much reading and so called research where I'm like wait a second okay let's get back to reality you know and then get back to reality and go wait a minute, <laughs> is this reality now? Or, or, or did, that, did that sort of little echo of the, the simulation idea stay with me, you know? Yeah. Did, is this what's really happened? You know, and I, I, I think funny in, in that, you know, I think that hopefully I mentioned this in the book, that idea of travel was just going in the air, staying there and the world sort of like shifting around and everything being rearranged and then the plane, the plane coming back down and you were like, you haven't actually been anywhere, you know, but we've rearranged the furniture, you know, we've done this sort of thing and we're talking a little different now too. Just very strange sort of like, and then, and then maybe that is like a little crack in the system where I'm seeing like something that's like, that's a bit like a video game. That's a bit like, you know, I don't know, but yeah, like you, the rabbit hole of conspiracy has been sort of like just sort of knocking at the door a little bit and i'm going no 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 just go for a walk you'll be all right you know say hi someone wave you know like look at the birds look at the flowers you know don't get eaten by the seagulls everything's cool you know don't get pooped on by the seagulls i think that's the, well, the that's, important part. that's a daily that's a daily you can't avoid that but uh, it's when they it's when they mess around you and you think like oh my god is, this is Hitchcock land you know it's it's really going on now you know <laughs> are you are you are you right by the sea where you live yeah I, I'm looking at the sea now where oh I, wow beautiful yeah. yeah the sun's just about to set over on the right hand side there yeah not a, not a bad place to uh, be when you when things were going uh, squirrely in pandemic I don't know how much opening's happening right now where you're at but. Um, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, you know, quite a bit. I mean, we have like, you know, full kind of attendances at soccer matches and, and this kind of thing. Oh, and cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all going on. I'm not venturing there yet. Don't feel fully confident. I'm still a bit of a mask wearer on the train. Uh, you know, public transport and that sort of stuff. It just doesn't feel. I don't feel quite like abandoning the rules yet, as it were. I just These like to know. Yeah. <laughs> I just like to know that other people are doing it. Like, like when I, when I watch like a baseball game and the stadium's full of people, then yeah. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to go there yet, but yeah. at least it's happening. It's happening. Yeah, it is. It's real. And you can see that people are getting on with it and it's like, it's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Things are returning. And I like to watch them on the, the television and go like, yep, that's going on, you know. I, it's, it's fun. It's interesting how, how important I don't want to be a jock. I'm not a I'm not a, I'm not a sports hooligan, but all of a sudden it's kind of like important that 
sports is happening. Yeah. Sports is like, a, there was, it's the, like strange in the lockdown and empty stadiums. It was really like a, a futuristic setup, you know, a futuristic sort of like thing that you could never, ever imagine. You could never, ever imagine that 76,000 people would not be there yeah. at all. I remember I was in London most of lockdown, actually. And uh, I remember coming out early one day and like, and because of course, in normal life, you know, things are moving around and flowing and the traffic's flowing. Well, it wasn't. So it was like, it was so sort of apocalyptic. It's like a, a massive car park. London was just a massive car park and you could just see cars kind of, sort of just parked anywhere and everywhere because nothing was being driven anywhere. It was the most surreal thing, you know. Uh, it was so echoes of The Walking Dead, you know, that it was a bit too bit too close for comfort you know oh it, i was uh I, you know i had to like there was still i was going to the doctor appointment or whatever i'm in los angeles mm -hmm. and um and to see the freeways empty that was one. weird that was blew my mind to see yeah. commute now i'm to see traffic i'm like oh bless their hearts bless everyone's hearts <laughs> yeah. the things that used to irritate me i'm like thank you yeah exactly the things that used to irritate you what what was it like um when you when you and uh david lynch connected for uh for lost highway i remember that i remember buying that soundtrack so i that i played that soundtrack just i burned it for days and days and days yeah i you know that again that was the sort of a if there is another book i'm not saying there will be but that it was another you know typical of of this book story where i I was on my sort of first of three hip replacements and uh, I was so down, you know, and I was in a wheelchair and I had some stuff brought from the studio to home, you know, because I thought, what do I do? You know, I write music. So I started to write this theme and then I got a call saying, um, listen, just to tip you off, you're going to get a call this afternoon at 5, 5 p.m. from David Lynch. And I was like, what? You're kidding. So I kind of went, right. And then he calls me up from Los Angeles and says, I've been listening to your music for 10 hours straight. And I think you'd be great for this movie that I'm going to make. And then he says, I'll send you a scene, show it to no one. <laughs> I remember that really well. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't either. Show it to no one. And, um, and it was this scene where this guy, Mr. Eddie, you know, like, like so, you know, he gets his car out the from the mechanic and he gets tailgated down the road. And that piece of music that I was writing that morning is literally, without really doing a lot to it, fitted perfectly to that scene. Because I was thinking, what do I do? I write sort of brassy kind of, you know, noiry, strippery kind of yeah. you know, 60s-y things. So I, went, I sat at home and I, da, 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 you know. And that, and that was it. And for some reason, that became Mr. Eddie's theme. So, again, it was that thing of, like, hopefully the book sort of echoes this, that every cloud does really have a silver lining, you know. And that was the silver lining. And, and then he said, this is great. You know, I love it. I knew it'd be right up your alley. <laughs> and he goes, like, why don't you come to Los Angeles? So I'm in a wheelchair. He goes, don't worry about that. You know, my guys will carry you off the plane. <laughs> All this 
So it was fascinating. It was, it was a really great experience. And it was, what was amazing for me was to work with a director who knows exactly who they are, who knows exactly what they want in terms of the aesthetic and the art. And so, you know, because you get some guys and you go, what do you want, you know, where are we going to go with the music? And I don't know. The producer told me I've got to have music. So, and you're like, Ugh. yeah. F you, mate. You know, like, yeah. you have no kind of desire to sort of be involved in that process. You know? Whereas with David, you know, he'd screen things and play the music and go and call me up at the, at the, the you know, the Highland Inn, I think it was, and, and say, like, you know, like two in the morning, go like, you know, their eyes were glued to the screen. You know, you did a great job. They, you know, you could hear a pin drop. You know, something like that. Very encouraging, and uh, you know. It was a great experience for me. It was like a kind of masterclass, I think, if there's such a thing, a uh, masterclass in sort of noir uh, music and film. It, uh, I, very fortunate. I love that. Um, it's And I, I love it because I just talked with it. I'm in therapy, so I just talked about this with my therapist about a week ago. But um, where, uh, where things get dark and... The and the struggle just the struggle feels monumental. But she just asked me. She said, "When when was there a time when something great didn't happen right after that? Well, you know yeah. what? And and it just and I you know I don't think the struggle needs to happen for something for something great to happen. I don't think we need so much. No. But at the same time, the struggle does. There's beautiful gifts at the end. Yeah, it's a phenomenon in itself." which is why there is that line in the darkest hour, it's just before dawn. You know, yeah. that's it's so true. You know, I don't know why. And maybe it's a sort of, a, it's a sort of a gift of, of revelation in some way, or, or like suddenly having the ability to look through another window and embrace whatever magic is going on, you know, and seeing it for, the, for a time when you could not when you were kind of eyes were shut and blinkered and you, there was no looking through any window. Um, maybe it's, it's that, but it's funny how that does happen <laughs> quite a lot. And you sure you don't have to suffer from good things. It's not a prerequisite right. at all, you know, and good things happen to people just by them happening without sorrow before. But I guess we're dealing in a kind of, um, you know, a lot of time in, in artistic expression, it, it's sort of, the viewpoint of the artist to sort of see that like you know that coming out of you know the you know the like the phoenix idea like you know growing again rebirth and all these these sort of phenomena that that they're very in tune with the artist's sort of perception and ideas and expressions i think yeah and i mean just what a what a level what a i just you know i think lost highway without you you know, oh, he also had in what's his name, Angelo. Uh, yeah, Bartlemy, yeah, yeah. Though you, but you and him as the soundtrack really make that film. I mean, as far as it's, I that's, I know the scenes, but I also the the music and the just driving. Oh, and that's what I was trying to get at. That's what I was trying to remember. What I was avoiding was saying I forgot what I was going to say next. But now I have what I was going to say next, which is that's why we love the David Lynch's of the world because they're not corporate. And so many of these directors are so corporate and appeasing yeah. producers who are appeasing networks and they just yeah. may as well be working in accounting or in a tech yeah. industry, but they just yeah. happen to be in film. 
And when we get someone like David Lynch, who's who's passionate about it and calling the people who did the music for his film, people don't do that. You know, in 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 uh, in, in uh, so-called real life, you know, I know people do music for films and they find yeah. out, oh, it was released. That's how they that's how they find out. It's not like anyone has passion and is calling them and going, thank you for that track that meant this much. And that there's just such a beautiful beautiful interaction of just art being created on such a monumental level that I feel like is missed most of the time. I, I think as well, there's a sort of um, respect, if you like, for, you know, a person's work and you can see in it that they understand that they're, they're they understand sort of where you're coming from in terms of art and like, like mindedness and therefore, and, more than respect, you know, just sort of like, you know, you're you're upholding a, a person's work, and then when you're invited in, you wanna, you wanna sort of, of course, you, you, it's great to be a part of that, but you also want to sort of, you use that as a vehicle of expression to further the greater good of the expression, you know. And I think what's good about David Lynch is that thing where he's not sort of like the corporate world of of you know. He might as well be doing this, that, and the other. You know, it's the, it, it, his passion is like that. You know, I remember him getting quite angry at me about something, and I saw it later. Like why he did, you know, I changed something at the last minute when it was it was going. You know, it was fine, and because um, I thought, oh no, I can do this better. But that it wasn't that wasn't a, it wasn't about that. It was about me. You know, it wasn't about the film, and it wasn't about you know. So I got it, and that was the only one time I was a bit like, oh my god, you know, but everything else was sort of uh, you really like wanted to bring something great to the table and like like you said there isn't some like oh it, it came out what you know you're really there for the journey you know and you're aware of like the ideas in the film as well that that are sort of have a strange synchronous synchronicity to your life you know like i can remember the the, the video tape if you like coming from la that i was going to work to and popping through the door exactly like in the film and I'm in the wheelchair coming down the corridor, so, you know, and, and I'm seeing like these flashes, of, you know, I hadn't seen the film even. <laughs> and there I was living in a kind of the film, you know, um, and, and the idea of uh, just the sort of like dual figures in the, in the, the femme fatale noir world and the way he dealt with that and to leave you in such a place where your mind is kind of so screwed about the whole thing. It's fantastic. It was a great experience. And, and it's in, and I, and I love that you talked that, that he, that he got angry and there's, there's conflict in creating art. And yes. And, you know, even going back to um, when I, uh, when, when I was reading the uh, parts about uh, just the, the, the pressure that's on, e even when you're, even when you're invited to a band, even when you're, when you, even when you're playing for Iggy pop and, yeah. They're, they, you know, the, the, oh my God, thank you. Oh crap. What do I do? You know, I don't know if you get that where it's just like you get invited to something and, you know, or you get invited to do something for someone that you're a huge fan of. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, all it's like, oh my God, tell all your friends. Yay. Great. You know, cheers, cheers. And then the work comes and it's scary. And all you're trying to do is stay on for dear, hold on for dear life. 
I think there's a psychological thing at work as well, which is like, you get that, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, this is great. And then, and then you're sort of like, not aware, like that there's an, you know, an unconscious incompetence going on. <laughs> and then when you go like, yeah, it's gonna be, and then you have to like, you know, you have to learn like 30 odd songs over a weekend or whatever. And you go like, oh shit, you know? And then it's like, there's a conscious incompetence. And then you start learning something and then you kind of slick it a little bit and then go, oh, and that becomes a sort of like, you know, there's an unconscious competence going on while you're working it out. And then you kind of fully get sort of competent and, and consciously competent about it at the same time. Then you're ready to do it. And that's all you've got and you give it your best. And, you know, you hope that what you've got is why you are asked to bring it to the table. You know, at the same time, you're scared as shit, of course. You don't want to blow it, you don't want to, you know. And then a, a few sort of things again happen, you know, like I walk in the studio and Iggy Pop's like, okay, like new guy, what the fuck, you know, sort of thing, excuse my language. And uh, and the keyboard player turns around to him and says, oh yeah, I was around at Barry's that weekend and he showed me the seven inch, you know, if I got a right. And somebody's like, you have an original seven inch copy of I got a right from that time. And you keep, and I said, yeah. And then slowly he kind of gets it, that I get it, you know. And then you're, then you're in, you know, because you, you get it, you know, he knows you've got it. It's almost like a testing period, almost like a yeah. hazing period where it's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, okay. We want you here, but let's make sure you deserve to be here. Oh and- yeah. There's been other situation. I don't think I wrote about them actually, where I think there was a, a time when I went to audition for that group. Uh, oh, I wish I see. It's funny. Now the book's almost out. I can kind of remember almost like a parallel universe of, of events that sort of went on. And I'm like, oh, I didn't write that. You know, like yeah. I was invited to, to audition for the pretenders with Chrissy Hind. And, uh, uh-huh. and I'm like that. I'm there, you know, and I walk in and she's got, she's sat there. Love Chrissy Hind. I love, love her voice. I love the song writing, you know, Brass in Pockets right up there with genius, you know. Yeah. And I go in there and I'm sort of like, I'm pretty out of it, you know, and I'm thinking like, and then I'm thinking like, well, hang on, the two people before me are dead. <laughs> they, they, they died, you know, like from drugs and I, here's me on drugs, you know, and I'm trying to like put this sort of stuff together and go, and I'm thinking I'm pretty, I've got this together. This is pretty cool, but she's obviously getting this sort of like, hang on a minute. It was something's not right here, you know? And uh, I, I, you know, I didn't expect to, that I'd hear from her again. And I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting how um, drugs can, uh, can can get us in a comfort, you know, in a in a synthetic, comfortable space. But, uh, you know, if there's other people in the room that aren't on the same, you know, on the same pill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah. that, that, that it's a different reality. There's it's yeah. it gets obvious. I see it myself now, you know, it's very obvious. It's almost black and white, you know. Um, you can see people on their own kind of trajectory of, of stuff. And maybe it's where I came from. I, I find it difficult to sort of be consistent in my engaging with them, you know. Uh, um, and I think, God, that was what it must have been like to be around me, you know. Um, and I'm aware that people gave me their time and they gave me their sort of goodwill and they gave me their sort of often as well, you know, they gave me their love. They they gave me, you know, a way to sort of 
you know, accept who I am and stuff, despite what was going on. You know, and I think that's kind of amazing, really. It makes me look at things slightly, well, not slightly, more than in a, in a different way now, you know. And then, and when, yeah. when, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. So, well, no, it's kind of, it's kind of also grown a compassion mm-hmm. within me, you know, um, and, and a little bit more of a, a sort of tolerance because I, you know, I, maybe it's just too much of a grim reminder that, of people when they're on drugs and, and I kind of don't quite know how far they're going to go down the line and I can't, you know, uh, but I remember just to have a little compassion because, you know, I've been there. Empathy. Empathy, yeah. I think I think I think the world needs a lot more empathy these days. Is you know, yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because like before, before the pandemic, I, well, not not really. I mean, I guess the Trump years kind of took this idea away that the that that the East is going to sort of gradually influence the West in terms of spiritual behaviors and practices, and, and this, that, and the other, and then. And then I almost feel like during the Trump era, that kind of like went, well, that went south pretty fast, you know, and then we're back into this almost like people struggle to find empathy because they've lost its meaning because they're being taught that like, no, it's self, it's all self. You know, if you can, if you can get this, you've got to hold on to it. You don't give it to other people. You hold on to, you know, it's like, oh my God, no, (laughs) you know, and what and what fun is there in that too? Because we the the whole thing is about sharing the the spirit with other people, like whether it be creative. It's it's like yeah. hey, let, let's get in the and that's what's driven me nuts about different things I've worked on, where it's just like, oh, we're all here for the same thing. We just have different ways of going about it. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and have the conflict to get there. But yeah. the the people who just want to hold it and go, no, this is mine, and here's how yeah. you're going to do this. Yeah. And nothing beautiful happens in those cases. It's, no. It only sort of cultivates a sort of like, kind of cultivates a rottenness at the same time, you know, like it exposes sort of core of rottenness, I think. Yeah. When, when, um, when, when did you get, when did you get off drugs? Was it like, was there times where you were just like, okay, now, you know, I, 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 I read I read about how in Perth I, I think it was in Perth you had to um, withdraw from uh, oh, yeah, heroin yeah. and but That's funny yeah yeah but the different stages I guess yeah yeah I mean it was shortly after that I think around like you know the sort of Moss Side Story time uh, so about uh, late eighty eight um, and that's you know without giving the the end away of the book. Um, you know, that I was able to sort of something seemed to click into place. And it was like, wasn't my time to leave. And it was my time to stay. And I recognized that in a, in a most sort of profound way, you know. Yeah, I like that. Was there, yeah. was there a spiritual practice that you kind of connected with or, or something on that realm? Or was it, was it well, just? I ahead. think that came later. I think initially it was just the idea of like, you know, this is it. You've kind of hit the brick wall. You're sliding down the brick wall. You're landing on the floor. You think you're not going to, you think that's it. You think it's over. But you kind of land in what I like to call safe hands. And then you recognize those safe hands, you know, and you recognize there's something around you 
you know, be that the sort of, you know, the love and care of the universe that you've not been able to see for so long. And I think that then inspires you to sort of, uh, well, inspired me to sort of try and find some sort of like a way, you know, a spiritual practice in some way, whether that be like meditation, you know, and the idea of like trying to stay in the, in the moment and centered and do the right thing by people and all the rest of it. And, you know, it's not been a sort of straight line at all. You know, there's been sort of like real deviances from those, you know, I mean, I've stayed off drugs for 30 odd years, but, um, you know, in terms of like my, uh, experiences in life and, and, you know, and particularly in relations with other people, intimate relationships, that has been difficult, you know, and in fact, my practice, if you like, has become more as, as the years have gone on because, um, it's like the dust takes a very, very long time to settle and it's still kind of settling. And I can see a layer, I can see a few layers now, but it's still kind of settling after, even after all this time, you know. Does, I wonder if the dust of just even um, the existence of being human ever goes away until, until we breathe our last breath. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why, yeah. And if you put it that way, it's almost like, why would it? Because that is that is like life, you know. To be human is to live, you know. Um, and like you know, perfectionism is an illusion. Uh, you know, there is no perfect. You just have to try each day to sort of put your best foot forward in some way and learn sort of skills that sort of keep you kind of in a place where you're, you know, caring of yourself and respectful of others and this sort of stuff. Not easy. You know, not easy stuff. Yeah. Get some guy up in your face. <laughs> you know, like, the f- <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, it's, and I mean, people are behaving, like, I, where I'm at, I just see a lot, people are behaving poorly now. There, there's, now, it, it was like, there was a lot of empathy going around. Empathy, empathy, empathy. Now, all of a sudden, there's, a, there's about, you know, maybe one in 10 people acting out. And yeah. I feel like I'm ducking. I feel like, a, I feel like a lot of, you know, Back in the day when I lived in San Francisco, I, I lived in the Tenderloin for many years. And that's when I went and saw uh, when you were with the Bad Seeds. I saw yeah. you at the Civic Center that show, but um, <clears throat> but and and the, and the, you're just you're 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 being you, you walk down a block in those areas, you're being harassed every three steps. So okay. you you have to kind of push back. I live here. I live here. Like get out of my way and go bug someone else, and then. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Where was I going with it? Oh, but you know, it, it, there was a little more engagement because if you ignored, they would follow you. It's just yeah. like, if you ignored anyone, they would follow you. So you have to sit there, kind of tell them to get the fuck out of my way in a very yeah. low voice. <laughs> yeah. But I think as well, going back to the empathy thing, I think people are confused and hurt and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know. They've had their world. Some of them have had their worlds destroyed. Some of them are, are very fearful of the fact that things are, you know, within 18 months or whatever, everything changed. Yeah. And it's like, they don't know what to do anymore. Like they don't know where to take that emotion. You know, they don't know what to do with it. And so if this guy over here is going like, you know, this is like, you know, this is fucked up. This is, we're doing this. We're going to go down there and make a thing about it. Yeah. Okay. That seems to be the right, you know, people are just lost. Yeah. And it's easy for us to, it's easy for me to say that now, but you know, I'm, 
there's an incident not too long ago where the national football team, for example, lost the, in the finals of the, of the Europe, um, uh, the, this thing called the European Cup, uh, the Euros it's called, and that the English team lost in the final and three penalties that were given at the, at the end were taken by black footballers. And that night, and they didn't score. And so that night, the town that you know the whole of England just went insane and people you know people were sort of at the match who were black were receiving texts going I'm just seeing the news get home as quick as you can and people were sort of being round you know people were rounding themselves up around like white people were rounding themselves around black people and going you know it's fucking your fault you know and the mood the next day I was walking around and I just felt people look at me as though I was one of the people that took, and I was like, this is incredible. There's no sort of like, well, what a, you know, what a great game those guys had. It's they just went straight for the blame. Like, and I couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow, this is the truth of, of where, where fear gets in and sort of like, you know, anger, disappointment and how to express it is to still point the finger at somebody else, you know, and say, it's your fault. And we were back in a sort of very strange kind of square one, you know, and uh, that, you know, that, you know, really upsetting, really disappointing. You know, I even had one of my neighbors, I had to take him out on the street, you know, who said to me like, cause the next day what happened on Twitter is that they, you know, they just wrote all these like things to these footballers personally, like all these people, you know, going like, you know, like, you, you know, fuck you, nigger, like, go back home, you, you go back to the fucking jungle, and then pictures of monkeys everywhere, and all this sort of stuff, like, ton. and the guy said to me, 51 million people were watched the game, and I said, yeah, and he goes, well, there was only 2,000 of those tweets, and I said, mate, one of those tweets is one too many, yeah. and he was going like, well, yeah, and I just said, look, I've got to stop you there, and I'm going to walk away. I mean, I was really like, you know, and I confronted him in a way that's just sort of, I had to shut him down. And it was interesting because all through the book, there's examples of this kind of thing where I don't shut people down. I don't say, hey, can I just say, you know, shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And, and I think that's, if anything, at the same time as like, you know, the loss of empathy on some sides has also been a sort of like, you know, allowance to kind of growth, you know, to grow like through things. I mean, it was, I thought that was, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, there was a Black Lives Matter movement. It was just so strange. And I saw like the streets of Los Angeles and I was like, what the hell is going on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but to be able to be given voice and be told by other people, yes, speak your truth, you know, right. was something I was never able to do. And, and what happened with the neighbor, you know, it was great because it was no, there was no sort of like, you know, I wasn't like, ah, yeah, come on, let's have a fight or anything like that. I just put him straight and I said, you know, cause he was baiting me. I know what he was doing. He was trying to make oh. me feel comfortable about who I am. So he didn't have to feel comfortable, uh, uncomfortable about who he is yeah. and his views. So, you know, I, I don't know how I got onto that, but it was, I guess it was from our thing of like, you know, yeah, I can feel kind of, you know, people are lost and scared, but like you say, when it's in your face, you know, when it's, when it's in your, in your grill, you're like, yeah, well, yeah. Deal with this and shut it down. You know, it's the new world, you know, 
when it, and when it's coming from absolute ignorance where it's yeah. like that, that feeling of like, man, I got to, you know, do I correct this? Because this person is living in outer space and might not be a, you know, might not be a good person for the human collective, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm not going to take care of that. Hopefully a heart attack will one day. <laughs> well, yeah. Looking at the dude, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I don't, and then I think, and then I, then I have those thoughts and I feel guilty because then I'm, then I'm like, Oh man, now I want people to suffer that maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's, it's all confusion, man. I don't know. No, what, I, how do I bring, how do I bring it all together? It's true. It's true. You write a memoir. And uh, <laughs> when, when did you, when did you say I need to write a memoir? Cause I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I could have told you that 30 years ago. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny. It's just it, a, a weird series of events as well. I, I actually thought maybe it was like five years before I started writing. I thought maybe, you know, one day I'd like to write a memoir. So I attended like a, a memoir writing course and uh, I met a really a brilliant um, teacher called Julia Blackburn, who's written several memoirs herself and has also uh, uh, written memoirs, uh, well, biographies of, of other people, you know, one famously on Billie Holiday, which is fantastic. So I was like, wow, this is great. You know, and she was, she instilled something in me. Um, through an idea of, of the, the examples that I was giving in as my little writing things, you know, like how I had a sort of Dennis Potter kind of eye, you know, and like the sort of singing detective was, was, a, was a, a huge hit as a TV show here. But it, it was very weird because it was like performed as a sort of play that was written with narrative and then scenes that were sort of like put very strangely, you know, and I thought, and she sort of, you know, pointed me in that direction. I thought this is great. And then I got pneumonia and I had pneumonia for like eight, well, a couple of months. Yeah. And I couldn't attend anymore. And uh, so I didn't, so I kind of dropped the idea really, but then I, I'd find myself uh, thinking about it again and emailing Julia and saying like, I really enjoyed the stuff to do that. And then one thing sort of followed another. Um, a guy I worked with, Sean Conan, knows uh, David uh, Barraclough at Omnibus Press. They were at the launch event of another book. And uh, David said, what's Barry doing? And, you know, he said, said to him, it'd be great to have a book. And that was it then. And I'd had these sketches from then. You know, I think there was a couple of sketches from there. They weren't very elaborate. They were like describing my the, the empty house where I went back when my, after my dad died, I think, and the the chair, you know, and the theosaurus and the dictionary, you know, and this sort of stuff. Like, they were, I was trying to just write those like screenplay, like a kind of you know, make sure I describe the lighting and make sure I describe the sorrow as kind of, you know, the ceiling kind of bowing as though it was going to like, you know, and this kind of stuff. So it was it was inspiring. And then, you know, I got in touch with you and said, wow, you know, it looks like I'm going to do it. And she was like, she was, you know, like, okay, go for it, you know. And um, so it was fun, interesting, that connection. What was what really got me, what I was really fantastic about seeing is that there's this one uh, woman who wanted to write a book about her mother. And uh, she says, well, what is it you want to write? She says, well, she tried to kill me on several occasions. And... Julia kind of burst out laughing and the girl the woman was very offended. She's like, you know, it's not funny at all. She goes, but it is. 
She goes, why? She goes, because you're still alive. There's the story. <laughs> that was great, you know. And I thought she's my kind of gal, you know. Yeah. She, she gets it, you know. She gets that stuff, and she was the one that tried to encourage that, you know. You don't, you don't go like try and glean pity from the audience or anything like that. You just sort of. I think actually she was the one that said uh, just, the, just, uh, just the truth. No, not just the truth. I can't, I can't remember the phrase now. Just the facts, mom. Just the facts. Right. Just the facts, because that's enough in itself. You know, if they're sort of from this place of like, wow, and you can kind of, you know, put them in a in a link that sort of works as a story and a narrative. You know. And then, and then the reader can find the uh, the joy and the sorrow on their own without being told. And this is funny. And this yeah, is the yeah. sad part. This is the funny bit. I'm yeah. sure you'll find this hilarious. That, you know. <laughs> which uh, which is just which just kills any moment of possible hilarity. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Barry, now thank, oh, go ahead. Yeah. What? No, no, no. Again, yeah, no. I was just continuing that sort of that thing. Oh, well, please do. What were you just saying? Well, you know, there's, a, there's that section in the book where I find sort of um, <laughs> sexual comfort in the in the sofa and the cushions and and you know, and you, you imagine saying like, now we're going to come to the part where the sofa <laughs> becomes this like, you know, you just can't do it. You know, you can't do it. Yeah, you, you have to, you have to present the sofa or other inanimate object furniture as um, inanimate object furniture that can become sexually arousing. Exactly, yeah. I was listening to a radio show this morning and uh, it was uh, an English sort of broadcaster who's been around for a very long time, has done sort of amazing, incredible things. She's just written a memoir and she's written it from the point of view of the house, which was really incredible. She goes, wow. I, I stand, I stand, I've stood here for 110 years and let me tell you, and then narrates this story of the characters that came through the house Brilliant. wow Wait, what, what, what's the what was the name of that writer because i need to find that book you know i can't you know it's funny because i feel bad because i can't remember because i didn't catch the beginning i think mm -hmm. it's joan bakewell okay i think it's the way i didn't catch the beginning but the way they describe certain things I, and they that they're that the they described her as in the seventies, the thinking man's crumpet. And I remember, <laughs> I remember that phrase, the thinking man's crumpet, uh, which meant, you know, she was like, if you're an intellectual, she was the hot woman to be, you know, and I thought that's Joan Bakewell. And I thought I recognized her voice. I think she's called Joan Bakewell. I love it. Well, thanks for writing the memoir. Please write okay. more. Barry, it's been, uh, it's been great having you on the show. No, it's been a blast. It's been great fun. Thanks, Tony. Barry Adamson on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new memoir, Up Above the City, Down Beneath the Stars. A definite must read and probably my favorite memoir this year. Next week on the show, we have Joshua J. He's a, he's a magician and author, and his new book is called How Magicians Think, Misdirection, Deception, and Why Magic Matters. Keep on reading, keep on writing, keep on telling stories. Stories are magic. Reading fills our souls. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Midnight,
walking in sight I think I'll go for a ride Save me Cause if I get high All your assets are mine What I say Mystery broken and dead Tuesday, stuck on a pin And there's the rub in my eye Over and over again I see you saying goodbye Where she goes I guess we'll never
Listening to 101.9 FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz. <laughs> 